Hello, everyone. Welcome to Chan Podcast. Here is where you learn about meditation and Chan. So, what is Chan? Chan, spelled as C H A N, is the Chinese school of Mahayana Buddhism and is the originating tradition of Japanese Zen. We encourage you to learn and practice meditation with a group. If you like to, feel free to visit our website, LondonChanMeditation.org. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening again. Okay, some of you just joined us. Okay. So today's talk is on dealing with anxiety. Um, I think it's safe to say we all deal with anxiety to a greater or lesser extent, um, including myself. I also deal with anxiety. And today I'm going to introduce how to deal with anxiety, uh, particularly according to the Chan Buddhist tradition. When I say Chan Buddhist tradition, it actually includes the, the whole of the Buddhist tradition. The Chan school makes use of the whole of the Buddhist teachings. <clears throat> However, the method that's applied is particular, it's unique. Uh, and I'll introduce a bit more about the method later on. But to start, um, anxiety is everywhere, so to speak. Anxiety is everywhere in all of us. Some of us live in big cities. I live here in New York City. Not sure if there are any other New Yorkers out there. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Some folks live in very crowded cities. Some folks live in cities that are less crowded, but a city nonetheless where there's a lot of competition. People are competing for things in the city. People are competing for space, competing for places to live. Uh, competing for work, competing to travel, big cities, just to get on a train. Sometimes you have to fight your way onto a train. So that just getting places can be uh, anxiety provoking because we're not sure if we can get there on time. There's also competition for playtime or leisure time. <clears throat> In the city here in New York, um, many of you folks know we have Central Park, which is a beautiful, big park. Um, but it's interesting that sometimes when we go to the park, you have to actually look for a space. You have to try to find a space that's, you know, not only that you can sit on comfortably, but that's not, not crowded with people, unless you want to join a crowd of people, that is. So it's competing for leisure. And we all know that <clears throat> um, during this pandemic, there's even more competition and even more stress with the economic situation, with our career situations, and there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. 
<clears throat> even though things seem to be opening up, things seem to be uh, getting more and more back to somewhat of uh, what we used to call normal. So this, this pandemic life brings a lot of stress and anxiety. <clears throat> I don't know if there's any place in the world though that's free from anxiety. Uh, maybe some folks live in the countryside. Um, some folks may live in a very rural area with a very simple life, few people, <clears throat> not so much competition. However, even in the countryside, aren't there anxieties of, if you're very far away from things, sometimes there may be an anxiety of making sure you have enough food, especially in wintertime. If you don't have enough food, there's a big snowstorm and you're miles and miles away from the next store. Doesn't that bring about some anxiety? Or if you're alone in a rural area, maybe you're concerned about your safety. That could be potentially uh, anxiety provoking. <clears throat> what about just the fact that we have our bodies and our health to deal with? Is anybody free from illness? I don't know if there's anybody that's free from physical illness, any kind of ailment. <coughs> so our body can be a source of anxiety. <coughs> we don't know if we're going to be able to maintain our health or if we have some kind of uh, ailment. We don't know what's going to happen. Will it get worse? Will we be able to afford a treatment for our body. Even if we're in good health, we're not concerned about that. Maybe we're anxious about our wealth or our possessions. Maybe we're concerned about gaining or losing something. I have a friend who uh, happens to do a lot of stock market uh, work or trading Excuse me. So it seems like every day I hear another story of how the stocks are going up or they're going down. They're going way up or they're going way down. So they talk about being anxious because they're not sure if the stock they just bought is going to go up, which would mean a nice big gain, or if it's going to go down and they end up losing everything they just put into it. There's a constant anxiety about the gain and loss of wealth. And of course, what about relationships? I think most, if not all of us, have some kind of relationships with family, with life partners, friends. And relationships can be a source of anxiety too, because maybe we don't know if we're going to lose someone. Be anxious of losing someone due to their health or losing someone due to maybe the relationship just not working out. So it's safe to say that we all face it. <clears throat> According to the Buddha's discourses, I haven't seen often the word anxiety used. I think it's occasionally used in the Buddhist sutras or, or discourses, but it's not used as a, you know, a frequently occurring technical term. However, we often see the term restlessness in the Buddhist talks, restlessness. Uh, part of the, there's one 
um, teaching on the five hindrances to meditative stability, five hindrances or the gai. Restlessness is one of them. It's actually restlessness and remorse. And the Chinese, I think, is or which just means the mind is very agitated, restless, not at ease. And it may be due to remorse about the past. It may be due to an anxiety about the future. But it's an overall restless state of mind. We don't feel at ease. I think that corresponds somewhat to how we use uh, the word anxiety today. <clears throat> In the Buddha's talks, he also used just the term fear and dread. Fear and dread with regard to our life, the reality of life and death, the comings and goings of our own life, others, and the comings and goings of everything in our environment. So this fear, it's a fear, an underlying fear that we all experience. <coughs> so if we wanted to define anxiety, we could try, we could try defining it now. Anxiety, we could say it's a, a, a state of body and mind that's unsettled and agitated due to preoccupation with an uncertain future. It's a very long definition. Agitation of mind due to worry and preoccupation with uncertainty. <clears throat> so when we're anxious, we're, we're anxious about something, right? We need to have an object to be anxious about. Some people have a very specific object. You know, they may be anxious about their health. Others, others, maybe they don't have a specific object. They just feel kind of anxious and disturbed almost all the time. I don't know if some of you have experienced that. I've actually experienced that when I was <clears throat> in my 20s, just kind of this seemingly constant feeling of anxiety and dis-ease. But it wasn't anxiety about something in particular. I was anxious about everything. I was anxious about driving. I was anxious about talking to people. I was anxious about looking for work. I was anxious. I, was, I remember being anxious about cooking. <laughs> anxious about every big and little thing. So there's still an object there. You could say there was something I was anxious about, but it was just shifting and changing all the time. And I had this underlying current of, of dis-ease, of agitation. <clears throat> so, you know, when we experience anxiety, what are, what are the symptoms, so to speak? Now, the Buddha didn't talk about symptoms of anxiety and often didn't, you know, have a scientific or technical way to talk about the symptomology of how we suffer from anxiety. Um, but there are some common experiences. And modern psychology... Um, does this it it um, creates a clear um, presentation of symptoms as well as categorizes anxiety i'd like to share a little bit of that with you all today as well 
I think the, the Buddha's teachings, as well as the categorization of suffering, categorization of mental illness and mental health of modern psychology can be quite useful together. Because if we can recognize some symptoms, we know better what methods to use to help ourselves. So for example, there's some symptoms that people may experience, which is one, just having a very scattered state of mind, thinking about all sorts of things, having a racing mind. Usually that's accompanied with muscle tension, physical tension, and maybe accompanied by uh, tremors even, shakes, shaking in the body. Some people may have unpleasant feelings in the stomach or the gut or the chest, often, oftentimes lower the gut area. Some people just experience this overall irritability of being anxious and agitated so much that they feel irritable when somebody approaches them or when they have to deal with things, they just feel upset easily. <clears throat> and due to that, a person may have poor sleep. It's hard to sleep when we're agitated. Or some people wake up in the middle of the night. They can fall asleep, but they may wake up in the middle of the night and feel very alert and even feel agitated and wake up with a racing heartbeat, even sweating. Some people may even have anxiety to the point where their body feels numb. The fingers or the feet or certain parts of the body may feel this numbness. Rapid breathing is another one, kind of as if, you know, as if um, there's a threat, kind of rapid breathing. And it would be, when it becomes more serious, a person could have kind of uncontrolled bowel movements or vomiting and even just complete confusion. Even to the point of, of a losing sense of your body altogether, feeling that you're, you're out of your body and then eventually even losing consciousness. Um, people can be anxious to the point of losing consciousness altogether. So if you have experienced any of these symptoms or quite a few of these symptoms, that could be a sign that you're suffering from anxiety and may not know it, or just may not have noticed that it's, um, it could be getting serious. But it's nothing to be afraid of, because actually anxiety, if we look at, if we look at the number of people going to seek for professional help, let's say from a counselor or a therapist, the most common ailment is anxiety. And I did a statistic check. I was curious how many people went for professional help due to anxiety. And a couple of years ago, it was something like 280 million people. Um, and there's likely many, <coughs> likely many more people who struggle with anxiety, but they just don't seek for help. So that number could be doubled. Who knows? It could be, it could be a billion people struggle with anxiety, but only a percentage seek for help. 
and again in the Buddha's teachings, that there's no categorization of kinds of anxiety, but within modern psychology, we've identified that certain people have certain forms of anxiety. So for example, the one I just mentioned before of general anxiety, <clears throat> that's when a person just doesn't have one specific thing they're anxious about, but they may have many things or everything that they feel anxious about. There's other kinds of anxiety which are specific to social situations. Some people feel particularly anxious when they have to go socialize with others or when they have to give like a public presentation uh, or talk. That can be a very um, paralyzing kind of social, social related anxiety. But there's also anxiety related to separating from people. Some people feel that when they separate from their parents, that's a very um, traumatic or very difficult thing to deal with. This could be with young children, babies, or this could be with even older people or adults. I spoke with uh, a woman last night, actually, who said she feels a bit of anxiety because she, she knows her mother is not going to be around forever. But when her mother's not there, that's a very big loss of stability in her life. So there's a separation anxiety. <clears throat> and then there's also anxieties related to specific objects, whether those are living beings. Um, maybe you've heard of anxiety or phobia towards spiders or certain animals. Some people have a phobia towards dogs. Um, or it could be inanimate. <coughs> could be <clears throat> inanimate objects. Some people have a phobia or anxiety related to, um, for example, sharp objects, weapons, um, things like that, or even needles. I don't know how many folks have gone for the vaccination. For some people, it's like nothing. They just go, they get, they get, they get jabbed, so to speak, and it's over. For other people, it's a very difficult situation because they have a fear of needles. And the list goes on. Phobias and anxieties sometimes have specific objects. <clears throat> this is including height, including spaces, all of that. Then the next question is, why do we experience anxiety? These are all the different kind of forms and symptoms but why do we experience anxiety? Um, the Buddha once said in a, in a discourse from the, uh, I don't remember the name of the discourse, but it's from the middle length discourses. He said, fear or anxiety is due to foolishness. Or fear, anxiety is due to ignorance. And that's not meant to insult anyone. It's not an insulting statement. But it means that the reason we experience anxiety is because we have this ignorance. In Chinese, it's wu ming or yu chi, which means a lack of clarity or a lack of understanding. 
we can also okay call it a, a lack of awareness <coughs> we have an ignorance <coughs> about ourselves <coughs> about the object we are anxious about we have ignorance about the world but what does that mean specifically what does it really mean to be ignorant so commonly you know we use the word ignorance like <clears throat> this person was ignorant of the fact that um, you know they they could apply for something and receive some public benefit they just didn't know it's a lack of knowing in this context though ignorance refers to a lack of deep understanding a lack of deep knowing about the reality of ourself and the world and to be more specific the buddha would say that ignorance is when when we see permanence in things that are impermanent we mistake impermanent things for for being permanent that's one aspect of ignorance so that's that's kind of the ignorance of change in the context of time that's the ignorance of change we perceive things to be permanent when they're always changing from another angle from the angle of space we perceive things to have a self that actually don't have a self what does a self mean a self just means something that's totally independent so in terms of space spatial relationships we have this impression we have this perception that things are independent when they're actually dependent so for example we, we often view ourselves as being totally independent when actually we're connected with other people in, in an infinite number of relationships. <clears throat> Yet we have this feeling and the sense that we're, we're totally separate. We're just, you know, I'm just me. All of you guys, all of you people, you're, you're you, and you're all individual yous, all by yourself, and I'm me all by myself. We have this perception of self when there is no, there's no possibility to be totally independent. So in terms of time, we don't see change. In terms of space, we don't see the, the relationships, the, the deep connection that we have with everything. And this brings about a lot of suffering. We could say this is the source of suffering. This is what brings about our anxiety. <clears throat> And this is really the core of the, the Buddha's teachings, the trying to point to the source of our problems and anxiety. And you don't have to believe this just based on what I said, but just reflect on it for a moment. Do you, with regards to your anxieties, do you see something as permanent? Is that object of your anxiety, does it seem permanent? And that you can actually possess it and keep it from changing do you think that object that you're anxious about is all by itself just itself 
So we can give an example, you know, just in terms of anxiety, maybe some of us are facing anxiety about relationships. Maybe there's a person in our life, in your lives, that you're afraid of losing. And that brings about a lot of anxiety. Maybe you feel anxious all the time, just thinking and wondering, will this person leave? Will this person be separated from you? In the moment of anxiety, what's happening in our minds? What are we doing with our mind? The person may not even be near us in our, in our room, in our space, but the person is in our mind. We have this image of the person that we love dearly. We have this image of them and we don't want to lose it. And we, we take that image of them to be the real person. <clears throat> um, there was a Zen master who said once, well, when we fall in love, we actually don't fall in love with people or things. We fall in love with an image in our mind. And Thich Nhat Hanh said that. And when he was talking about the psychology of mind from the perspective of uh, consciousness only, school of Buddhism, which points out that love, hate, anxiety is born from this ignorance where we grasp onto the images of our mind as permanent objects, as totally independent selves out there somewhere. But let's reflect on that. When we're anxious and we're thinking about this person, we're even imagining what it's like to lose them and that we don't want to lose them. Is that image that's floating in our mind or is that stream of thought, stream of images and sounds, is that the real person? Or is that just an impression of one moment in time, one moment of space that we had with that person? Maybe it was a very good memory or maybe not. Maybe it was an unpleasant memory but in a way we've frozen it in time and we've grasped onto it with our mind. This is what we call attachment. This is the manifestation of ignorance, grasping onto our thoughts as permanent independent objects. So what happens when we grasp onto these images, when we grasp onto our thoughts, what happens is that we end up thinking constantly. And it's not that thinking itself is bad. We, it, it, the Buddha didn't say thinking is bad and nobody should think. Because if that was the case, you know, might as well just knock ourselves in the head with a club or just be unconscious. The Buddha also had thoughts. The Buddha also spoke. So it's not the problem of thinking. It's the problem of mistaking thought, grasping onto thought. And that leads to a constant, obsessive, unclear way of thinking, which then stimulates all kinds of emotions. So today we're talking about anxiety, but essentially this process is the source of all forms of suffering, whether it's anxiety, whether it's doubt, anger, craving, it's all the same process. It's just that anxiety is when we're 
thinking about where we have an object which is often we, we see it as the future not yet happening and being unsure if it will happen how it will happen what's going to happen to this person will they leave me will they stay will they um, be what i want them to be this process of attachment or this process of ignorance the Buddha spoke about it in the teachings of the 12 links. Have you heard of that? The 12 links of conditioned being or conditioned arising. That's the technical term. <coughs> the Chinese is um, or it's the process of ignorance manifesting and then continuing. And we can, we can extract the central uh, links. Uh, there are one, two, three, four, five or so links, which are the central process that we can experience in this very moment. We don't, we don't need to think about it or, you know, uh, just um, see it as a philosophy. We can reflect on our experience. And what is that experience? Well, it's when we contact the world, when we see, hear, feel, think, we do so in an ignorant way. We're not clear about what's happening. We're not clear that what's arising when we see someone, when we hear someone, when we contact anything, that very quickly this image in our mind is also arising. Image, sound, this internal form, this thought is arising and we grasp onto it. There's also a feeling that arises in our body. It may be a pleasant feeling. It may be an unpleasant feeling. What happens if it's a pleasant feeling? Usually if it's a pleasant feeling, we will we'll like it or we'll love it. If it's an unpleasant feeling, usually we'll resist it. We will dislike it. Mechanism of grasping or of attaching, liking, disliking, then has this momentum, generates this momentum, which the Buddha referred to in some cases as karma, or karmic force, this momentum of attachment to our thoughts and resisting the feelings that arise or seeking the feelings that arise just perpetuates and recycles again and again. And this is the, the linkage or the continuation of our anxiety. It's the cycling and recycling of our anxiety and all kinds of suffering. So the root of it, the root of it we can see is this ignorance or lack of awareness, lack of clarity. So now that we know what anxiety is, so we, we know what the cause is, how do we deal with it? How do we actually deal with it? There may be a countless number of methods, but in terms of the Buddha's teaching, there is a certain principle that if we understand the principle, we'll be able to use the right approach with any method. And what is that principle? Well, the principle is that 
actually, anxiety itself is impermanent. Anxiety, the experience of anxiety itself is empty, so to speak. Empty of, empty of permanence, empty of self. Anxiety is not some kind of fixed problem inside of us that we need to get rid of or that we need to spend a certain amount of time to, to get rid of. If we recognize that anxiety is just a moment-to-moment -moment attachment, it arises from a moment-to-moment -moment attachment to the content of our mind, our thoughts. We can be free from it in the very next moment. This is the principle. The principle is that at every moment, we have the potential to be free from our anxiety and free from whatever suffering or trouble we're facing precisely because the anxiety precisely because the suffering is empty we can be free from it and the buddha spoke of this as buddha nature we all have the capacity to be free from suffering even though we feel that we're, we're um, completely immersed in it, in this moment, we have the capacity to be free from it. That's our Buddha nature, or that's our uh, potential to be free, potential to be awake. So emptiness or empty nature the fact that everything is changing, the fact that our suffering is changing and, and not fixed is directly related to Buddha nature, our capacity or our potential just to be free, to be free from it. And how can we free ourselves from it? <coughs> well, in terms of method or approach, the unique aspect or the unique approach of the Chan tradition is that in principle in theory as long as we let go of the clinging to our thoughts clinging to our feeling of self that comes from this constant thinking the moment we can let go of clinging clinging to thought in that very moment we can be free in the moment we can let go of clinging to our thoughts in that moment, in this moment, we can experience freedom. Suddenly. Sounds nice, right? Does it mean that if we can do that, we'll just be free forever from all of our problems and, you know, just like the Buddha? No, that's not what it means. <coughs> <coughs> Even if we were to experience a moment of freedom from this burden of attachment, freedom from this burden of clinging to our, our self, our idea of self, it doesn't mean we're forever free. But that, that is the basic principle. If we can do it every moment, then every moment we're free. If we can do it for one moment, then one moment we're free. 
So that's why so many masters in the Chan tradition would often just say something very simple like, drop it, fangxia. Just let it go. Let what go? Let clinging to the content of our mind, let clinging to thought go. Does it mean never think again? No, not at all. You could think freely. But it means we have the potential to see and drop our clinging and be free from anxiety. But the problem is, can we do it? You know, if, if, you, if you could already do it, if I could already do it at this moment, we'd all be free and probably wouldn't need to come to these talks, probably wouldn't need to listen. And one problem is that because we still don't see clearly what's happening. We're not yet clearly aware of what's happening, what we're doing with our mind. <coughs> so because of that, <coughs> we need some sort of concrete method. Um, and often within the Buddhist tradition, sitting meditation is one method. However, it doesn't have to be sitting meditation. It could be walking. It could even be working. And from the Chan's tradition's perspective, sitting meditation is just one form. It's just one activity. The potential to, to cultivate our awareness of our mind, to become aware of our ignorance and clinging, to be able to eventually let go of that, we could do that in any situation, in theory. So that's why <clears throat> a very famous teacher in the Chan tradition, Master Huineng, the um, sixth, sixth ancestor in the lineage of Chan, he didn't push sitting meditation as the only way. He said, in theory, it's potential to develop this awareness in, in all situations in daily life. So he said, you know, um, the stability of mind can be constant, can be developed at any time. And he called it Yixing Sanmei. Yixing meaning one singular approach to practice. There's one way to practice, which means in any situation, sitting, standing, walking, working, even talking, we can develop awareness of what's happening with our body and mind. And we can use it more skillfully. <clears throat> um, however, it doesn't mean that uh, sitting meditation is not good. Sitting meditation is actually one of the, the easiest contexts to develop our mind, specifically because we're not busy or distracted by so many things. When we're meditating, we're just sitting still. We're temporarily disengaging with our senses, disengaging with the world to be more aware of our inner world, the workings of our mind. <clears throat> So I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about um, the method now. I just talked about the principle, the capacity that we have to be free from anxiety. Now it, it can be useful to talk a little bit about method. Um, I think I still have some time. Is that right? Okay. We have <clears throat> plenty of time. Go okay. ahead, please. Thank you. Okay. So 
again, when I'm talking about the method here, we could look at it as applying to sitting meditation and it can actually apply to any situation. And with regards specifically to severe anxiety, um, I'd like to introduce that there are, are a couple of techniques which you can do when, when you experience an attack of anxiety. Some people ex experience anxiety attacks where they feel it's hard to breathe and their mind is racing. They may even be afraid that they're going to die because their heart is racing, they're breathing so heavy, they don't know what's happening. And there's a lot of fear there. That's a kind of completely emotional response triggered by this strong attachment to thoughts. Um, for example, I, I work with one person who they have shared with me that they have a sudden thought of danger, like a sudden thought that their life is being threatened. Uh, let's say in a um, elevator. Sometimes when they go in an elevator and that door closes, they have the sudden thought that what if we get stuck or what if the elevator falls? Suddenly, after having that thought, their whole body and mind is struck with an attack of anxiety because they've been overcome by that thought. And the heavy breathing, the heart rate, the sweating, the racing mind, and it's a very, it's a very painful, difficult situation to be in. One, one method or one thing that you can do to first diffuse that response is deep breathing. We first need to develop calmness before we can truly see clearly what's happening within our mind. We need a certain degree of calm. So deep breathing in, in, in an anxiety attack, deep breathing can be very helpful. So standing still or sitting and in a very, very big kind of coarse breath, but taking it slow. You could even try it now with me, just breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth, the whole body, the chest is moving. This Deep breathing, if you do it a couple of times, three times, four times, a few times, that can often be just enough to take that panic attack from unbearable to, to bearable, to settle down the breathing, to settle down the heart rate, to settle the body and mind to where it's still happening, but it's bearable. With that deep breathing, you can also make sure you have good posture because posture, good posture allows the body to relax. Okay. If you can do that, you'll find that the anxiety attack will, will in time pass. You'll be able to be with it, bear with it. You know, you're not going to die. You know, you're fine. And the, the symptoms, the heart rate, the heavy breathing, the racing mind will gradually calm down. And it's interesting that <clears throat> these, these three initial methods of deep breathing, good posture, and relaxation are also used in uh, our Dharma drum lineage of meditation. 
the very first thing we do when we sit down, like we did at the beginning with the guided meditation, is adjusting the posture. Sitting in a way where we're not using unnecessary tension to hold our body, we're just putting our body there and letting the body sit. This in itself allows us to relax into ourselves. Just having good posture allows for a great deal of relaxation. Um, usually before this, we have a, an exercise where we do a deep breathing exercise. Uh, we didn't do that today, but that's also can be incorporated before you sit doing a deep breathing exercise, regulating the breath, calming the breath. Posture can also be practiced in daily life. If we're more conscious of our posture, more aware of, for example, when you're working, if you do a lot of work at an office desk, you know, typing, what's your posture like? If you'd start to develop good posture, you start to have a greater awareness of the condition of your body. And you're actually letting your body, relieving your body of a lot of pressure with good posture. So standing, sitting, even lying down, posture, awareness of posture is a gateway, we can say, to awareness of, of our mind. <clears throat> and it's important that we look at our body and mind as a whole. Our body, our mind, it's a whole. They can't really be separated. So awareness of posture, we're aware of our mind as well. So sitting meditation, daily life, posture is that second one. First, deep breathing, regulating our breath. Second, posture in all situations. The next is relaxation. If we are aware of our posture, we'll be aware of where there's tension. And if we're habitually holding tension, maybe some of us just have this sort of shrugged shoulders. We don't even know it. We work like this. We stand like this. We talk like this. We walk like this. We're holding a lot of tension in ourselves. So if we can be aware of that, we can release it and relax it. Physical relaxation will bring a lot of comfort to us. It can re release, relieve the pain of anxiety just by relaxing the muscles. It's very comfortable. Relaxing more deeply if we can relax our attitude, that is key. Relaxing our attitude means that we're learning to become aware of how we, how we cling, how we cling to our thoughts, how we cling to the objects of our anxiety. We first need to see that. So for example, we may notice that we're very anxious about, and I'll use the, the example of losing the person in our life that we love. When, if we're aware of our body, relaxing our body, we'll start to notice that our mind is clinging to that image and we're resisting something. If we're thinking about them leaving, we're resisting that. If we're thinking about wanting them to stay with us forever, we're seeking that, we're looking for that. That kind of attitude 
of resisting, seeking, resisting, seeking, cycles and cycles. If we can see that process, we can relax that. We can drop it. Relax our body. We notice what's happening in our mind. We relax that resistance. Or we relax that seeking attitude. What's interesting is that when we relax our attitude, we start to let go of those objects. We start to let go of those objects of thought because we see how much pain clinging brings to ourselves. So we become more and more comfortable with relaxing our grasping and having this very open mindset, open attitude. We're accepting of whatever happens. We're accepting and clear about what's happening now. We're not grasping onto an idea of, well, I accept there, they hate me, they're gonna leave me, or they better stay forever, otherwise I'm gonna do something. No, that's not acceptance, that's grasping. Acceptance is letting go of grasping, and we're just fully aware, fully aware of what is here, what is now, present. This relaxation of attitude leads to a more deeper insight. <clears throat> what I just spoke of with relaxation, you could say corresponds to the aspect of calming the mind. When our mind is calmed, when our mind is relaxed, we have the capacity then for wisdom, for insight. Wisdom or insight into what? We have the capacity <clears throat> for insight into the very nature of how our mind is working. We have insight into the nature that our thoughts, those things that we clung to or cling to as real objects out there in the world, we have insight that our thoughts are just thoughts. They're images sounds, content of our mind. They're changing constantly. Thoughts are flowing and changing constantly. It's so easy to actually observe the impermanence of our mind, of our thoughts. It's just not thinking about impermanence, it's observing the impermanent nature, thoughts, the content of our mind. It's also observing the nature of feelings, which are often experienced, we could say more bodily. Feelings, um, including emotions experienced in the body, the pain or the pleasant sensations and feelings in the body. We can observe them very clearly as changing. This is observing impermanence. And we're also observing how how these thoughts are selfless. What does that mean? Well, thoughts don't just arise by themselves. That would be interesting if a thought just arose for no reason by itself out of nowhere. That's interesting. Then I guess it would just stay there forever. We'd have a constant, almost like this stain in our mind of the thought just always there. 
and we know that's not true. Thoughts arise because we have different contacts with what we see, what we hear, what we feel. Some thoughts also arise because of previous thoughts. We were thinking about one thing, and that stimulated a thought about another thing. Thoughts are completely dependent on experiences of sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and other thought. If we're able to clearly be aware of this process of the arising, the changing, and the passing away of thoughts, feelings, and all experiences of our body and mind, we'll truly be able to, to let go of clinging to them. Because why, why would we cling to something that's essentially impermanent? Does it make sense to cling to something that we actually can't keep? If we think about all our anxieties that way, all of the objects of our mind, and even like the objects of the physical world, physical things, there's nothing that we can actually truly keep. And when our mind is very calm, very clear, we can observe this process within ourselves, observe the impermanent selfless quality of our body, our mind, in our environment. <coughs> when we can do that, then we can truly let go. We can truly fang xia. When we truly let go, that's that moment of freedom. Freedom from all anxiety. Freedom from not only anxiety, but all kinds of pain and suffering. So again, in the Chan tradition, what's unique is that we, we don't talk about stages. We don't talk about a, a fixed period of time. Like how long does this take for me to go from being like really anxious to totally free? That's not something which is discussed within the Chan tradition. What's discussed is just the principle that it's possible. And as long as we can um, drop this attachment for one moment, then for that moment, you're free. So the principle is more important than, let's say, the specific process according to the Chan tradition. <clears throat> so that's why it's called a sudden, a sudden insight and a sudden moment of, of freedom, freedom from anxiety, freedom from um, suffering. And just to finish with a quote from the Heart Sutra, which many of you may know about, and which is quite important to the, the Chan and Zen tradition. There's a line that says, when there's no obstructions in the mind, there's no fear. When there are no obstructions, there's no fear. Um, so with wisdom, 
for the ability to see how we use our mind, how our mind is working. We have the insight in how to relieve ourselves from this obstructive problem of attachment. When we relieve ourselves of this obstruction, we relieve ourselves of fear. And we can truly live in a, a more peaceful and in a more compassionate way. So I'd like to, to finish the talk here, try to be on time. I think that was just about an hour. Don't want to talk too much. Um, but to summarize, we talked about what is anxiety? What are some symptoms of anxiety? What is the cause of anxiety? And then what is the principle? What is the underlying principle of how to free ourselves from anxiety? And then I talked about method. How do we actually do it? And of course, due to the limitation of today's talk, you know, I didn't get to talk too much about method. If you want to learn more about method, well, then you can attend uh, a retreat. A retreat is where we focus on method and focus on helping you to train yourself to use various methods to deal with anxiety and deal with all kinds of um, suffering, all kinds of problems. So let's finish here with the talk.